We're still in the uh, series Moving Toward One Accord, and uh, today the title is The Art of Hospitality. Over the past three weeks, we've been looking at and talking about unity, unity in the vineyard movement as the first priority of Phil Stroud's vision for the vineyard as he takes over uh, the reins as the national director of the movement. Uh, also, unity amongst ourselves here at the Lakes Region Vineyard Church is part of the greater vineyard movement. We found our New Testament biblical context within the framework of being in one accord as revealed throughout the book of Acts, and we as a community have committed to pursue that place of unity by asking for God's help. You remember the first week we all stood and prayed together and asked God to help us. We followed that up with our first unity tools, uh, those prayer cards. How many of you are still doing your prayer cards? Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And a commitment to be praying twice a day. Then last week we added reading the Gospel of Mark, but reading it in such a way as to put ourselves into the storyline by asking questions about, to ourselves about what we're reading. Now, how many of you have been able to, to work with that a little bit? Okay, cool. How many of you remember why we're doing all of this? Okay. okay. Unity, one accord. The bottom line, if you remember, we started by reading a portion of Phil Strout's article and his goal in pursuit of unity, and I really like this, uh, his statement, was to bring glory to God and for the well-being of people. To bring glory to God and for the well-being of people. Unity isn't an end in itself. We pursue unity for the glory of God and the well-being of people. And I like that. It just gives some some depth to the pursuit. So if we accomplish this, or to whatever degree we accomplish this, to that degree we will expand, advance, and establish the kingdom of God by overcoming the works of darkness, the glory of God, and for the well-being of people. Before we get into the third and final element of unity in this series, because there's a lot of elements of unity, but for this series, I want to share an observation about unity, uh, and it's this. All that is united is not unity. All that is united is not unity. Because we agree on something or proclaim the same message, march to the same drummer or dance the same rhythm, does not mean we are experience, experiencing unity at the biblical one accord level. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Today is what? Palm Sunday, right? So what is the gospel event that took place that distinguishes this day from so many others in the life of Jesus? What's that? So the triumphal entry is, is the caption over that chapter, right? This is the 
triumphal entry of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, which is pretty much based on last week's sermon about the king, the coming of the king. That was the proclamation of the, the gospel. You know, uh, this should have been the culmination of all of what the gospel was about. The king is coming, and here he comes. You know, he comes into Jerusalem. It's the feast of Passover, and uh, the story is absolutely awesome. I, I want to read a piece of that out of John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. Now, when they say large crowd, uh, think of a minimum of a million. And if it was a really good year, four million Jews would descend on Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Okay, So the large crowd I mean, think really large, okay? (laughs) The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They had begun to make the proclamation, the king is coming, the king has come. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, in Luke's account of this event, he adds a conversational element between Jesus and the Pharisees, who were a religious group that opposed him, which, when closely examined, reveals something about the event that I believe Jesus was very aware of. In Luke 19, verses 37 through 44, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now it would appear from these two accounts and from Jesus' response to the Pharisees that there was a real move of unity taking place, wouldn't there? I mean, if they stop it, the the very stones will pick up the cry. I mean, that's... Seems pretty united to me, right? I mean, you're not going to stop the momentum of this thing, right? And yet, watch Jesus' conclusion to the whole affair. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make for peace. What is the things that makes for peace? The kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, shalom, peace comes with it. There is no peace until he comes. When the king comes, peace comes. Things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know. Now, it would have seemed by all the circumstances in those two other verses 
that they did know because they were united in the moment. But being united isn't always unity. Here's the thing that I believe Jesus understood. Unity is not just being in agreement. Unity, one accord unity, is conviction of agreement you hold. In other words, I agree and I will not be swayed by what I have given agreement to. Now watch this. Same crowds, same feast day season, same Jesus, same priest, same sense of agreement, but on the flip side of the coin, John 19, 1. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer, so Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. Now, we heard that same proclamation a few days before coming off the Mount of Olives. Behold, your king is coming. And all the crowds responded, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. This same group of people hears the same thing. Behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him. Away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Unity, real one accord unity, is not convenient. It is steadfast in its commitment and will not be moved by mob mentality, current social trends, political correctness, or intimidation. It is a unity expressed from the heart of God, unity of the Spirit that produces the purposes of God and the fruitfulness of his kingdom for the glory of God and the well-being of people. Just an observation. 
Anyway, today I want to talk about one of the most effective tools I know of for bringing about unity, bringing glory to God and well-being to people, and that tool is the art of hospitality. The art of hospitality, in its simplest expression, is to know the right answer or response to the question being asked or the situation being presented. Now, here is one we're all familiar with. It's Peter's great sermon after the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2.36, he says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, now here's the question, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all of you who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now watch what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, hospitality, to the breaking of bread and prayers, hospitality. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common, hospitality. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, hospitality. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being Saved. You see, Peter answered correctly the question being asked, and the fruit of it was hospitality that brought increase to the kingdom of God, the art of hospitality. You see, the right answer to the question produced a move of God in the hearts of men that produced an atmosphere that was full of awe and wonder rich in generosity and consistent in expressions of hospitality. Homes were opened, meals shared, needs were met, God was glorified, and the well-being of people was assured. People essentially became hospitable. We find this as a consistent theme throughout the book of Acts. But it was also a consistent theme in the gospel accounts. And although Jesus had no home of his own, he was still able to be hospitable because his answers were always appropriate to the questions being asked or the situations being presented. In Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, speaking of Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. 
and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, why was he a sinner? Tax collector, right? We all know that. <laughs> Some things just don't change. <laughs> and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Notice that the question is distinctly different from the one we saw in the book of Acts. It was not a what-must-I-do question. It was a, who is this man and what is he all about? And yet it was far more than that. And again, Jesus recognized the depth of the situation. Zacchaeus was seeking. He was asking, but he was asking within himself. Jesus answers in a most profound example of the art of hospitality. And this one's a tough one to pull off. Zacchaeus, hurry come down, I must stay at your house. <laughs> Ever invite yourself into someone's life? I mean, if the right question's being asked, it's an open door. You see, Jesus recognized the door to Zacchaeus's heart was open. Come down here. I want to come in to your life. It's essentially what he was saying. He recognized the question. And in one simple statement, Jesus answers all of the deepest questions of Zacchaeus' heart, and in doing so, he heals his soul. I am the king who looks for the little and the belittled. I am the king who embraces the rejected, who loves those who are hated. I am the king who eats at the table of the scorned and applauds the efforts of those who are marginalized. All of that is the message that Zacchaeus heard when he heard Jesus say, come down here. Zacchaeus was seeking, and in the seeking, he was found. And salvation came to his home, and they fellowshiped together, they broke bread together, and God added Zacchaeus to their numbers. Now, Jesus could have hit him with the call to repent, turn away from that tax collecting, oh, you sinner, right? Jesus would have been just another self-righteous religious Jew accusing him 
of being what he was and hated being. But Jesus offered him more than that. He offered him an invitation, an invitation to experience the presence and love of an accepting and loving God. The seeker in Luke found what the inquirer in Acts asked for to the glory of God and the well-being of his personhood. Peter was very direct and uncompromising in his message, and the results were powerful. Jesus was indirect and more inviting, and yet just as uncompromising in what he offered, and again, the results were powerful. The art of hospitality gives us the room in our encounters with people to discern between the seeker and the inquirer and then provides us the means through openness, that is conversation and invitation, acceptance and validation, to connect with their needs and share the grace-filled message of forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life that the gospel of the kingdom offers to humanity. Without the art of hospitality, our evangelism becomes little more than numbers on a tally board of successes or failures, kind of an evangelism scorecard. But with the art of hospitality as an active evangelistic tool, we can answer the questions of the inquiring heart and draw them into the grace of Jesus Christ, the redemption of their souls, and the hospitality of a community of believers who will help meet their needs and care about their well-being. While at the same time, the art of hospitality will give us the latitude we need to recognize the seeker and understand that the questions are different, and so our response should be different. Here, hospitality needs to be front-end loaded. We don't need to wait for a sinner's prayer commitment to express the love of Christ. We can extend hospitality, and here are three easy ways to do that. You can ask a seeker these questions. Something like this. I would love to answer your questions about Jesus. Let me buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Right? Pretty easy. Yeah, there you go, right? Well, I'd love to get together with you and talk about Jesus. Are you free for dinner at my place this week? Oh, sure, it'd be great to talk with you about Jesus. Where are you now? Can I meet you at your place? If you'd like, we can sit and talk. All of that is door openers to the seeker. I want to give you a tool this week. Do I have my tool giver outers up here? Only one? You want to be a tool giver outer? All right, there you go. Now, what this is, it's just a little invitation to our Easter Sunday service. If you have a neighbor, a family member, a friend, I'm handing you a door opener. Be hospitable. Knock on the door. Hey, you know, I'd like to invite you to a service next week. It's Easter Sunday. You going anywhere or... Hey, why don't you come over for a cup of coffee? I want to tell you about something that's going on at the church next week. 
Use this as a means of hospitality. Invite the seeker and draw them in to your life. What I hope that you'll see in all of this is that hospitality is intricately connected to the salvation experience. And I believe that God designed it that way. I think God is an inviting God. He's a hospitable God. Open up your life. Open up your homes to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Invite each each other over for dinner. I think it's one of the areas I'm going to really press on over the next year is that we begin to have each other in our homes. I'm not just talking about, you know, the leadership coming over to pastor's house and getting to know. You guys do this. You guys open up your homes. You guys set your tables and sit at meal with each other and tell each other your stories and share your testimonies and read the scripture. Pull out your prayer card and say, oh, let's do that prayer now. Get into the Bible together. Read the scriptures together. Get to know each other around communion in your homes. How awesome would that be? You know, you'll become a light, a lighthouse in your neighborhood. I guarantee if you start doing that, if you start opening up your home, you'll have the inquirer coming, but you'll have seekers around your neighborhood. Yay! You know, you're out for a walk and your neighbor says, been noticing a lot of traffic at your house. We get that comment a lot from our neighbors. (laughs) Always something going on at your house, isn't there? You know, people notice, people watch. What's going on? You know, what's up? Well, come on by, have a cup of coffee. Let me tell you what we've been doing. You know, sit down. Let me tell you, we've been reading the Bible. We've been praying together. You know, anyone ever pray with you? Do you have any prayer needs? Let's pray right now. I mean, just that invitation, that openness gives an opportunity for the gospel. And take a risk. Open up your life to a seeker. It's a risky thing, isn't it? He knows. (laughs) Be hospitable by being available to their needs. Listen to their questions. I think the hardest transition for our societal structure is to become listeners. The me generation is much more concerned about being heard than listening. You've got to learn to listen. You don't miss the question. Find out about their world and then share your world with them through kindness and hospitality. If we do this, God will be glorified and people will be cared for and we as a community of believers will grow. Here's one of my most favorite New Testament statements that really shows the heart of unity and the power of the art of hospitality. It's Jesus speaking to his little tribe of 12 in the upper room just before his suffering and death on the cross. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, this is out of the modern King James Version. This, I particularly like this version. He said to them, with desire I have desired. 
with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, I, I got to tell you, you know, spent a lot of time in Israel, a lot of times with the Jews, uh, Messianics, you know. Passover is so special, so special to them. I mean, they desire to eat the Passover meal. I mean, just the, the weekly Sabbath meal is a, a huge thing for them. It's such a, a desired end-of-the-week goal. But Jesus isn't saying that. He isn't saying he's desiring the Passover meal. With desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. You see, his hospitality went beyond the event and was personalized to those particular individuals that he loved and cared for. That's the art of hospitality, to get beyond what's going on and get to the heart of the individual. Listen to the message version of the same thing. It says, when it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and he said, you have no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter into my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. You have no idea how much I've desired this moment in time. You have no idea when you see a Zacchaeus up in the tree what your hospitality can offer to that individual. You have no idea how much God desires to have fellowship with your neighbor, with your workmate, to members of your family that don't know him. You have no idea how far your hospitality will extend that invitation. So let's do the same as Jesus did. I want to challenge you over the next two weeks, invite someone into your home. Whether it's someone in the church or a neighbor, a workmate, a family member who's kind of you know that black sheep one? <laughs> right? I think we all started out there, right? To someone. Invite them in. Show them hospitality. Express the love of Jesus Christ. 